Enter the creative world with FjordCast. Explore a variety of trends in the creative landscape, getting insider knowledge and advice from the industry's best. Fjord is proud to present FjordCast with host Tim Barsness. Thanks for joining us on the FjordCast. I'm Tim Barsness, founder of web and mobile development team Fjord. And today in our show, we will be talking with Roger Roser about his sales and marketing agency, the Eisen Agency. Welcome to the show, Roger. Tim, thanks for having me on. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here, and uh, I, I appreciate it. We're happy to have you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your, your agency, the Eisen, the Eisen Agency? Sure. Uh, we have two offices. We're headquartered in Greater Cleveland and Greater Cincinnati in the great state of Ohio. Uh, we serve clients really all over the country, and in some cases all over the world. We have clients in Europe and, and Canada. And what we specifically do is provide, you know, a combination of marketing and sales uh, services, uh, typically to professional services businesses. So if you're in the financial arena, uh, accounting, legal, uh, health, uh, real estate, uh, we're a really good choice to coordinate and get your marketing and sales in line. Got it. So tell me a little bit about Roger. How did you, how did you come to, to found this agency? <laughs> the most boring topic ever, I suppose. <laughs> but, um, you know, I started off as a, as a journalist. I was a broadcast journalist in the greater Cleveland, greater Akron uh, market as a, in the beginning of my career. Uh, moonlighted at a radio station as a, as a news, uh, newscaster, news reporter, and then worked in uh, print for several years. And then, uh, you know, I had an opportunity to go to work uh, for, at the time, a startup NASCAR team in Ohio. And I didn't know a lot about NASCAR. Then it was cars that kind of went around and turned left a lot. And it was really a wonderful experience. It was my first foray into really a public relations and, and, and marketing arena. It learned a lot, grew a lot, uh, moved to New York, worked for a Fortune 500 company out there uh, in the professional services industry. I uh, had the opportunity to come back to Cleveland to head up uh, the agency in Cleveland. I went to Cincinnati, head up a division in, at a Cincinnati firm. And then after, you know, I had been doing it for, at that point, about 15 years, uh, I just decided that, you know, it's time to take a chance and see what happens. And I hung my own shingle and out came the Eisen Agency, which was originally called the Eisen Management Group. And... It uh, has really flourished and, and thrived, and you know here we are, you know, 15, 16 years later, we're one of the larger marketing and PR firms in in Ohio, and uh, we're having fun and helping our clients make some more money. I noticed uh, you have offices in Cleveland and Cincinnati. Can you right. can you tell me about how that came about? Sure. When the company was originally founded, it was right after 9/11, which was kind of a terrifying situation. And, you know, the business was odd, if anybody remembers what, you know, marketing and agency life was like right after that. Uh, so we had, uh, you know, our offices in Cincinnati, actually in a suburb called Newport, Kentucky. And we were there for about 15 years. And about two years ago, uh, we just made a determination that I wanted to move back home to my hometown of Cleveland. Uh, but I certainly didn't want to close the shop in Cincinnati. It's strong and thriving. We've got a you know good business and a good reputation there. So the decision was made to keep Cincinnati as our uh, main headquarters, and then we would establish Cleveland as sort of the satellite office, uh, which had a whopping you know three members of staff at the time, and you know we've been able to grow Cleveland, maintain Cincinnati, and. It's really been the best of both worlds, so that's why we've got those two spaces. Got it. Um, 
What what is about uh, your agency that makes you want to get out of bed every day? <laughs> I've got a great staff. You know, I, I love working with uh, the team that I work with. It really is like, you know, kind of working with your best friends and, and colleagues. And, you know, I just, I, I love the creative process. You know, when a client comes to us with a challenge or an issue and it's fun. It's kind of like being, you know, one part detective and one part, you know, cheerleader and one part psychologist, I suppose. And you're able to really dive in and sink your teeth into maybe some areas where a business is deficient or not necessarily optimizing their marketing and their marketing communications and their sales. And after doing it as long as I have, you know, it's pretty easy to diagnose, you know, some of those situations and where a company is kind of off the rails or not doing things well. And typically a company can sense it too. I mean, their overhead is too high. They're spending a fair amount of you know, marketing on their, their business and such, and they don't seem to be making any significant headway or gaining market share. And our team comes in, we do a nice forensics audit, we take a look at that, and I, I just really like that detective research part, and then coming up with a nice go-ahead plan that says, hey, we're going we're gonna to help you out, we're going to fix you, we're going to lower your overhead and increase your market share, and that, that's, that's really gratifying. Got it. So take me to the, through your thought process when you decided to start a business right after September 11th. <laughs> I mean, obviously September 11th hadn't happened yet. The business, uh, I think we officially opened, I, I think the exact date was June 1st. Okay. So it was June 1st, 2001. And, you know, I had a handful of good clients. Um, you know, it was a, a, a two-person operation at the time. And, you know... We were rolling along, and you know, then 9/11 happened. And if anybody remembers, you know what was going on. I mean, basically, all advertising ceased for months. You know, marketing pretty much stopped because it was looked at as kind of gauche. And I'll never forget it. It was probably, I'm gonna say November, right around Thanksgiving, and all of a sudden Chevrolet ran an ad, and basically things started to normalize but that was a that was a scary few months after that you know you just you, you just hung your shingle you got a handful of clientele and as a PR firm marketing firm there wasn't a lot to talk about and there certainly wasn't a lot to market at the time and most of my clients at that time were you know b2b a little bit more on the industrial or technology side and there was truly nothing to say or do so you know, you're, you're, you're starting out, you're, you're, you're newly married and you've got a brand new business. And gee, that was a scary, that was a scary couple of years. Yeah. And you had, was it a partner or an employee that along with you for the ride? It was in the, in the very beginning. Yep. You know, it was myself and a, a, a designer web developer in the beginning. Got it. And, you know, not a partner though. I owned it. I, she was a salaried, uh, salaried employee. So, you know, I made zero, sometimes negative zero, but you know, that's the reality of starting up a business. And I'm pretty sure that every agency owner out there is shaking their head and nodding and going, yep, that's what it was like. Yeah, totally. So it sounds like you're a, you're a healthy size now. Um, what, what is it about, um, how you started the agency that, that led you to where you are today? Well, I, I, part of it's, you know, just sheer determination and, you know, personality, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I'm probably not the smartest, I'm probably not the most talented, but I'm the hardest working. And we just hustled our butts off. You know, we worked hard. And, you know, I think that we established a really strong niche 
in the in in the beginning with with the types of businesses that we were working for, and we did really good work, and our clients appreciated that. Uh, we grew, you know, a lot through referral in the beginning. Uh, showcased a lot of our work, and our clients would say, "Hey, these guys are really doing a, a a bang up job for us." But I think where a lot of agencies, you know, especially the behemoth agencies, you know, there's just so many layers and so much cost and you know, we just really cut through that and create such a level of transparency that we establish a high level of trust, you know, with our clientele. And I think they really appreciate that. When I had worked for other agencies, you know, I didn't know that they were as honest and transparent as I thought that they should be. And I think clients really appreciate that transparency and that honesty in how we do our billing and how we do our work and who's working on their account, exactly what roles everybody has, how much everything costs. So to me, that really made a big difference. And a lot of other agencies were so enamored with their own creative and creative process and in some cases even the people uh, if you've ever watched you know Mad Men you can see you know kind of that and I think that it was us that was really honored to work with the client as opposed to the client who should be honored with uh, to work with us sure makes sense so Roger what are the the next steps for the agency where do you want to take it well at, at the ripe old age of uh, you know 48 that I am now you know it's one of those things Tim where I, I kind of want to back away and, and slow down a little bit you know I think that there's so many interesting things that are going on in 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 the type of work that we do and things that I really love doing and things that after all these years I don't like doing as much um, I've got a you know a great team that I that I trust and that I value. So for me, you know, it is kind of trying to find that uh, successor and somebody that's going to you know pick up where you know I've left off. But the agency itself, you know, we 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 work in an industry that is ever evolving, ever changing. You know, in the '90s, if you would have told me that. I'd have entire divisions, you know, devoted to things like Facebook and Pinterest and Instagram. I would never have believed such a thing. So I don't know what's going to come necessarily in the future, but I know that clients are always going to have a need to grow their business and increase their market share and do more with less. And I think that whatever those new tools are going to be, our firm's always been on the leading edge of new ways to go about marketing a business in the most efficient and effective way possible. And right now, to me, that that content development, that native advertising is really attractive and we're really making a strong push in that arena. So that's probably where we're going to be in the in, in the foreseeable future. Absolutely. So let's get into the agency a little bit. Um, what types of work are you guys really good at? <laughs> um, y- you know, once we lay out a, a strategic plan for a client, you know, our project management skills are, in my opinion, second to none because we're so clear, we're so transparent. It's so easy for a client to follow along. Uh, I, I, five years ago, I would have said we are one of the top media relations firms anywhere around, but the 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 landscape of the media now is just wildly different than what it was even five years ago um where editorial is confused for news where news is confused for news <laughs> where you know so much of it is pay to play in in in, in this realm and uh, you know folks can appreciate that you know getting placements and getting publicity for their clientele or, or other stuff i don't in my opinion has never been more difficult so you know, I think right now 
we are just exceptional marketing strategists and tying it into the sales team because we always believe, you know, what's the point of marketing? If you're marketing so your agency can win an award, well, that's just stupid. You know, you're marketing so you can gain market share and sell more widgets. And I think more agencies are waking up to that, but it kind of makes my eyes roll every now and again when I ask an agency or I ask, you know, a client, you know, what would you rather have your agency win an award for how creative this ad is? Or would you rather gain, you know, 50% market share? You know, every one of them says they want to gain market share. And the way our agency specifically ties in and integrates marketing to sales is exceptional. If you want to grow your business, you hire my firm. If you want to some agency guy to come in and show you a portfolio of awards, then hire another Hire someone else. Yeah. Got it. Um, so you've alluded a couple times to the, the amount of change in the industry. I'm, I'm just curious, have you seen the rate of change increasing? Yeah, I have. And it, it's, it's bizarre. You know, it, it, every time I think that I've got a decent handle on what's going on and, and what's happening in the industry as a whole, something else comes along and disrupts it. And at some point, disruption, I think, is good, and that's important to shake things up. But, I'll, and I'll use even today as an example, you know, I do a podcast as well for the Public Relations Agency Owners Association. I use this platform called Spreaker. And you're on this thing called Cast, which is totally cool. And what I'm seeing right now is just a mass splintering of platforms. So back in the day when I was a kid, you know, you either had a beta or you had a VHS. And pretty soon they just kind of just figured out a way to consolidate it. Beta went the way of the dodo bird and VHS became the standard platform. But think about it now. There's just hundreds of different types of platforms that can do the same thing or different things but you know think of all the different cms platforms the marketing automation platforms the web development platforms i mean it's just bizarre and what has ended up happening is people are becoming specialized in these individual platforms and for an agency to keep up the size of the agency would have to be like a million people right you'd have to have an expert in every little one of these exactly and it's just not possible so what do you so, do about that yeah, well, it, it's, it, it's, you have to pick your battles and say, this is what I think it's going to be, you know, so, you know, just like designing websites, you know, I don't know how many people out there still use HTML, but we certainly don't, and, you know, whether you're going to be using, you know, X social media platforms, you know, we try to stick to three, four, maybe five different platforms for a client in the agency, but I do think there's going to be some consolidation where, you're not going to have all these different, you know, Skype and go to meeting and da 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 da. I think at some level they're going to start gobbling each other up and become a single platform. Yeah, I, I could see that as well. I think you know, the nature of software is that when you put something out there, it um, kind of creates an annuity revenue stream that that is fairly attractive and people go go after. But right. but I agree that there's so much fragmentation; it almost gets confusing. It, it, it does, and I think the older I get, and again, business owners, other executives, I mean, at some level, it's like, good Lord, I just don't, I don't even have any desire to even learn this anymore, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I'm not sure I need a Google Mini, I, I mean, I don't even know what all those things are, you know, those little speaker echo thingies, yeah, right? Right. you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not even sure what they do, 
But the minute I buy one, I'm pretty sure there's going to be another one that comes along that somehow does it better. Isn't that frustrating? It is a little frustrating. You know, that's why I think our agency has really hunkered down to the core basics of good sales and good marketing. Because I don't think those tenants are ever going to change. So if... Um, you know, you're you're doing the core basics. If somebody has a um, you know a need that, that that maybe goes outside your capability, what do you typically do to, to meet their need? Yeah, great question. Uh, and we alluded to that you know a bit earlier when we talked about our expertise in project management and transparency. If there's a level of expertise that's needed outside of our capabilities in house, we always look to partner with a good solid you know provider, strategic partner that does that certainly better than us if we even do it at all. Um, What I tend to see too many agencies do is they'll try to white label that stuff, which creates all kinds of havoc and chaos and awfulness. (laughs) And it's just, you know, if you're partnering with an outside firm, you know, you're gonna wanna share that with your client because if they believe that you're the ones doing that, it creates a project management nightmare, not just for the agency, but for the service provider that you're trying to partner with. Uh, you know, if, if we don't have that expertise, I'm not going to claim that we do. Um, but at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with subbing. You know, contractors do it all the time when they're building a house. They don't claim to be the electrician or the plumber. You know, they're certainly bringing somebody in. But right. you know you've got a single source that's managing everything. Totally. So uh, what is the motivation for an agency to white label something? Why, why are they doing this? If I think issues? they think they can make money. And okay. I guess at some point that's true. Um, it gives them a new whiz-bang tool to mark up, you know, whether you're looking at, I mean, any number of the marketing automation software, whether it's Percolate or Marketo or HubSpot or good Lord. I mean, you can go on and on about that kind of stuff. Right. But, you know, it's kind of like claiming that you do, you have your own email marketing service when in fact you're just using constant contact or that you've got your own proprietary, you know, media relations distribution service when you're just using Cision or My Media Info or any of those things. And I think it's disingenuous to a client. If you're a client of an agency, you should ask them that. What tools are you guys using? Um, Because, you know, we're all using some kind of tool. I mean, a a master carpenter needs, you know, wood and and, and, and chisels and, and hammers. But, you know, I think there's a a false motivation to white label some of these tools, claim them as your own, put a markup on it, and you know the minute something goes wrong or the minute somebody needs to get in contact with the actual client that's you know doing things or some customer service kind of stuff, it really puts yourself at a disadvantage, and I think it makes you look dishonest. Totally. So, what what types of issues have you run into with white labeling service providers? I, again, I think the biggest issue is project management. So let's pretend that um, my agency, you know, needs, uh, I have a client that needs an, a mobile app developed, right? That's certainly not something that we do, but let's pretend I claim that I did that. Well, the person that's actually creating the mobile app is a service provider. They're not an employee of mine. So... They might go on vacation, they might quit, they might have any manner of issue that I can't control because they report to somebody else. They have a completely different employer. And when you make it appear to a client that that's an employee of yours or that's a service that you're providing, it puts you in a pretty significant pickle if for some reason you're not able to get that completed when the client thinks it should be completed, if you're making 
any manner of rounds of changes with that sort of thing. Or from a billing standpoint, let's suppose that you're making changes and the invoice comes back significantly more than what you estimated to the client. Good luck justifying that. Right. right. Yeah, good point. Um, so let's move into a couple news stories here. The first sure. one is by you, Roger. Uh, it was in prnewsonline.com. Uh, agency or in-house, the fiscal and pragmatic truth. Uh, can you tell right. us a little bit about your article? Yeah, basically, you know, this was an, a, a discussion where I think we're headed toward a trend. And you look at the new uh, RSW survey. I don't know how many folks out there are familiar with RSW, but they're an agency lead generation service. So they are actually a new business firm for agencies. And a lot of agencies are really struggling right now because folks are trying uh, to bring more and more work in-house or creating in-house agencies. By the way, the average tenure of an in-house marketing person is nine months, by the way. Okay. So if you want to keep changing people and personnel in-house, just keep hiring that. And I think what we're arguing here is by outsourcing this, not only are you significantly lowering your overhead, you know, so fiscally, it should be a much more you know, fiscally sound move, especially if you're a small business. I mean, why are you going to pay somebody... You know, 30 grand is absurd, but why are you going to pay somebody 40, 50, 60 grand in house when you got to turn around and still spend another 30, 40, 50 grand on software and ads? And I mean, it doesn't make sense. And that's also assuming that that one single in house person or even two or five, you know, are have all the capabilities that are necessary, which is just not, it's just absurd. So, you know, companies are taking on more and more overhead. Unemployment is like at, what, 3% or something like that. So businesses are trying to find this unicorn that simply doesn't exist, whereas they could lower overhead and gain a tremendous amount of flexibility and expertise by outsourcing some or all of their marketing to, uh, to an expert. Do you think that um, agencies have a reputation issue where the, the, the perception is that they're more expensive when really they're not? You bet. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the agencies, PRSA and AAF and all these organizations have really done a lousy job of, you know, marketing and sharing that message where this could be a better option. You know, HR, immediately their knee-jerk reaction when the boss says we need marketing help is to put an ad out for some magical marketing person. And I consult with companies all the time on developing these um you know, what the what the job application should even say. Because so often I'll look at these ads that are posted for a marketing person and A, the skills that they're asking for and the salary are just absurd. You know, I mean, there's like, there's no way. And, and then also the assumption that somebody that's more senior now all of a sudden magically possesses every skill that has ever existed in marketing ever. And, you know, asking somebody like me to not only be a web developer and app developer and understand Adobe and Illustrator and HTML and everything else, but also be an expert in the 15, you know, dozen other things that are involved in marketing. So I think that's a real, real issue. And I think that the professional organizations in our industry need to do a better job of explaining some of the advantages and disadvantages of, of, of outsourcing that. And agencies have largely done this to themselves because of that lack of transparency coming in and presenting the agency leadership when the interns are doing 90% of the work. So to me, those are, those are definitely issues that the industry needs to confront. 
Got it. Uh, our second article today from Ad Week: Why so many CMOS are leaving major brands for ad tech companies. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about this article? Yeah, I mean, when you look at a chief marketing officer, and again, we alluded to the average marketing person in-house lasting nine months, the average CMO is lasting a little bit more over a year and a half. So about 18 months is the average tenure of most CMOs. And I've done interim CMO work for clients and businesses over the years. And mostly you're walking into what you just, you you inherited just a mess, you know what I mean? And it kind of reminds me of being a GM for a, for, a, for a football team, where you come in, you're looking at the personnel, you're looking at the practices, and you're inheriting all this stuff that the person did just prior to you. Right. So now you kind of want to put your own spin on it. And by the time you got it to the point that it's in action, the board's looking at it, the CEO's looking at it, you're looking at your staff, a lot of it's getting poo-pooed. So there's just an incredible level of frustration by these marketing executives at the very highest levels of brand. And is a lot more attractive, in my opinion, because these folks are creative, they're entrepreneurial, they're go-getters, they're hustlers. What a great opportunity to sink your teeth into some, some, some of these innovative tech companies and really do some things that create change. And in my opinion, it's a lot more fun. So would you say that there's anything to be done about that? If you're a, if you're a major brand, what, are you, what, are you, what would your approach to this issue be? I mean, I, at some level, I think it's just inherent that to 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 a big business, to a to a big brand, they're so they're, they're they're cautious, and they have to be. I mean, they've got to be very careful. But when you look at certain organizations that have been really creative with their marketing and have really done, I think some amazing things, and let these CMOS, you know, spread their wings. Because at the end of the day, you don't want to be taken out of the success fail equation. If you're never allowed to fail, how on earth can you succeed? Because basically, you're just implementing somebody else's ideas. And at the end of the day, even if you're doing that and it doesn't work, <laughs> they'll blame you anyway. So, you know, best to stand up for what it is that you believe in. And I think that these boards, most boards and most CEOs are not coming out of the marketing chair. They're coming out of the financial chair. And I think that needs to shift because if everything revolves around the bottom line, the stock price, etc., and the, and the legalese and the financial side, it's really at a disservice. The, the smart brands, the smart big brands, are creative with their marketing. They do really clever things, and they let marketing lead the charge in establishing trial and establishing you know, brand, and that's how the business is coming through. You're going to see more CMOs moving into the CEO chair. Got it. Yeah, absolutely. And we're out of time, so that's it for today on FjordCast. Thanks for joining us today, Roger. Absolutely my pleasure, Tim. I appreciate it. You bet. You can reach Roger's company at theeisenagency.com. That's uh, T-H-E-E-I-S-E-N agency.com. Thank you to our listeners for joining us on FjordCast. You can download episodes of the program by going to fjordsdigital.com slash fjordcast or subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio.